Welcome to the Analyzation Show with your host, me, Anastasia Pavlinskaya Redman. This week, I'm thrilled to speak with you all on a topic that I, is very important to me. Sustainable fashion as part of the environmental conversation. Leading that conversation today will be my friend, community organizer, fashion designer, fiber and textile artist, Pangea Kali Virga. Pangea is incredible. I met her when she was hosting her mending workshops down here in Miami. And it was really amazing to get to hear from different people who were learning to sew a button for the first time or patch a shirt. And the stories that they told about the objects that they brought in, fix up to extend the life of, was incredible. There were people who bought a sweater 20 years ago when they were on vacation and they had sentimental value to them. And they were there learning how to continue on the life of their items. That is a very rare thing we don't always get to see every day because the world produces 92 million tons of textile waste every year. 87% of the materials and fibers used to make clothing will end up in either an incinerator or landfill. And once they're in landfills, they can take up to 200 plus years to decompose. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know that if a Shein shirt cannot survive in your closet for more than 20 days, I don't think it should take more than 200 years for it to decompose. But that's the case, that's the reality. And if you think, hey, I, you know, fashion isn't really my thing. Well, you know what? You're not walking around naked, so you still <laughs> have to care about your consumption habits. That being said, I think Pangea can speak to all of this way more than I can. And beyond just the sustainability conversation, Pangea, again, is an incredible artist and her hustle is unmatched. So even if you don't care about fashion, if you don't care about sustainability, but you do care about getting the damn thing done, she's your girl. So I'll let her take it away. Tangia Kali Virga, welcome, welcome. Where are you at today? I am in Winchester, Virginia, at an artist residency today, this whole month. Wow. Wow. Tell us, what, what does an artist residency entail? Um, well, they're all a little different, but I think most of them, the foundational element is creating a seed uh, space for artists to make work or meditate on work. Um, so this one is really special for a few different reasons um, to provide the space to both create work and to live in this gorgeous town. Uh, it's a really old town. Um, so many of the buildings around me are like 200 years old and we're given access to all of these different community organizations that might kind of heighten our work. Um, we have access to hundreds, not literally thousands of rare books that are part of the collection of the foundation. It's been really inspiring and they try to pair the artists that are here at the same time. Um, people that would get along or inspire each other. So it's it's been a really fruitful experience. Yeah, we're currently in the bedroom um, that they provided me. It's really beautiful. <laughs> Never it's so lovely. I feel like it's the kind I, of the fantasy of the the artist and your um you know in the old time the artist in a way where you're getting into have this experience. 
So for those who don't know you, I know I gave a little bit of a description of you. How would you describe the scope of your work? How do you describe yourself to others? It's so difficult. Um, I feel like, you know, we're often having to define ourselves for for things, whether it's like your kind of brand, brand on social media or even like applying for residencies, you often have to like kind of get an artist statement. Um, and I feel like it's constantly evolving, right? But I, for me right now in this moment, uh, I'd say that I'm a fiber artist and sustainability advocate. And my background is in fashion design. And that I try to change things and educate people through collaborative art, artworks. Yeah, and that's how we met. We met on the sustainability front. Uh, for those who don't know, I work on a TV segment down in Miami, and I got the lovely chance to meet with Pangea before when you were down in Miami. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, what it's been like in this journey of being an artist. I know, you know you've you've really gone all over the world into where you are now. I mean, how has how has your view of what is art changed in that time? I think art is is both you know a technical skill that one can achieve, but I think it's also a perspective on how you how you see things. Right? It's about seeing things maybe not only for exactly what they are, but maybe in a you can constantly shift your perspective on something and, and maybe that's really the crux of what an artist is or at least how I define it right now it's am- <laughs> it's amazing because seeing you so I spoke with um with you about let's say a year ago and you were in Miami you were um doing a lot of these public upcycling classes we had talked about your journey from being you know a fat from fashion to being in Miami and kind of teaching the sustainable fashion and now you're here at this residency you you say you know you're in a very happy place you seem very enlightened it's almost kind of I feel like I've gotten to witness a little bit of a sneak peek of the evolution of you as an artist uh what has you just so enlightened at this point in your path um there's a bunch of things I think having to not make compromises with myself and my career, I think is really important and helps me feel joyful. Um, feeling the support from the community for my decisions as an artist uh, and seeing the benefit from like my my career trajectory and like just the, the public also benefiting from that um, is really meaningful to me as well. And... I don't know. I also feel like more certain in myself. I feel more like an adult. And I mean, right now I have very few responsibilities other than like hanging out and making art while I'm at this residency. So the house up really close. <laughs> it's not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> uh, and I think honestly, also my mom dying like a little over a month ago has brought me obviously a lot of sorrow, but also a totally new perspective on life. That has led me to a more deep and, and resounding joy and feeling of gratitude. So a combination of all those things. Yeah. I mean, I think that you've definitely had such a perspective shift. I know also, um, not to be bringing in too much of your personal life, but I um, know that you are getting married soon. I am. 
And um, I've been, I, I want to know more about your dress project because I've been seeing a little bit of sneak peeks online, you know, little pieces, little cuts and snips here. Um, talk to me about how that project has been helping you in this journey right now. Yeah, I think art, hence art and fashion has always been kind of my medicine sure. of my whole life, my whole life. And um, I've been engaged for three <laughs> and um yeah I'm, I'm making my dress and I am doing it as as I do any of my fashion projects it's all upcycled so all of the materials kind of have their own story before it even becomes this new this new piece right so I've been taking apart three wedding dresses my mom's wedding dress to my biological father my stepsister's mom's wedding dress from her wedding to my stepdad and my mom and stepdad's friend Roseanne's wedding dress. So all of these wedding dresses are from the 80s. So wow. so they have a lot of character. <laughs> a lot of volume. <laughs> so what has that been like to, to see weaving these three stories together into, you know, because a lot of people don't even understand. A lot of people don't even know how to mend. We'll get to that. Yeah. But um, oh, it's, what is it like kind of trying to weave together this story from these three existing stories? It's been really heartening to me. I think it's funny, like two of those wedding dresses were weddings that ended in divorce. But, but um, yeah, I think just even the... the whole energy about like getting a wedding dress and wearing one and like the wedding itself is is such an event of like hope and like absolute faith that you are doing something out of love and through love and i think clothes without something like too much like a hippie like i don't think like any there's any sort of like inanimate object i think like everything kind of has some sort of like resonant spirit right like we affect everything we don't live in a bubble so i'm assuming that also works for objects um but it's also interesting to like see kind of uh the treasure and like what other people would consider trash right like you get this big wedding dress you spend a lot of money on it and then like you never wear it again like there's no purpose for it um so it's been really fun taking these things that had literally not been worn since the 80s and taking the parts that i like from them and rearranging it into like a completely, totally different design. It looks nothing like any of the originals. Um, and I'm actually making three wedding dresses because one's not enough. If you know, I mean, you know, I I, I wore two, and I'm not even a fashion designer. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like I have to cab it at three, otherwise, like I'll just keep going. <laughs> I mean, it could be a whole wedding tour at this point. And yeah, yeah. oh, it's fun. It's fun. I hope so. I hope so. Um, oh. My friends been waiting long enough to get married, so I might as well make a whole tour of it once we, will. we start. But yeah, it's kind of inspired by the Degas ballerina sculptures. Um, I also wanted something that could be re like reworn. I didn't want to just create a wedding dress that no one's ever going to wear again, including myself. So it's it's actually multiple pieces that are kind of somewhat modular. So I have like a corset, I have a mini skirt, I have a petticoat. Um, I have like these detachable sleeves and then these kind of detachable draped uh, hand beaded 
uh, I don't want to call them chains, but like these beautiful drapes that kind of go all around in these brooches. So it kind of transforms into this full look, but it's actually many different components. So I'll be able to continue wearing it um, in my day-to-day life. That's so awesome. I mean, the weddings, I, you know, as someone, I got married back in March. Um, I preserved my gown. <laughs> Thank you. With the hope that, you know, maybe one day I'll do something with it. And they are just a, such a place of a lot of, there's a lot of waste. And I mean, there's a lot of waste in our lives. And we started talking a little bit on the sustainable fashion front, but I do want to switch gears there because, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you as an advocate for sustainability and the environment and fashion, you've gotten to speak to a lot of people. What has the journey been like, especially in a city like Miami, that is so like, use my fashion Nova code. I mean, that is the energy of (laughs) Miami. What has it been like for you to have these conversations with people about sustainability and fashion and empowering them? That's a great question. I love the way that you phrased that. (laughs) Use my fashion Nova code. That like really gets to the heart of Miami fashion culture. Um, Yeah, I I think that fashion is an extension of our culture, right? Like fashion also can generate culture and new belief systems, things like that. But I mainly think it's a mirror for like our deepest desires, at least for me. Um, But it's been really exciting and very rewarding. I think education is is probably the part of my practice that makes me happiest um, because it not only allows me to like teach people the things that I know, but also allows me to continue learning. And it allows, you know, impact to be continuously exponential. Um, I think very often people think, oh, I need this new outfit for this event or I need to not wear the same thing because of Instagram or whatever. It just seems so absurd. So absurd. I, I can't even. Sometimes like, uh, teaching people that there's other alternatives and seeing kind of that light bulb go off for people is, is just so exciting because I think it transforms the way they not only see how they dress, but also how they interact with consumer goods and understanding the labor chain um, and also understanding and connecting more with their community through things like swaps or the workshops, right? Like talk getting to connect with other people i think is a really great way to um detract from consumerism i think like community if you have community you don't have to fill that void of loneliness with things so even if i take the education aspect out of it which i will but even if i did i think just like bringing people together in solidarity um requires you to just buy fewer things at all because you're fulfilled it's very true i mean shopping therapy is uh i mean the i say it in quotes shopping therapy is totally a real thing people 100 percent will click by now because it satisfies their dopamine um you know so you talk about all these community events i am very aware of a lot of what these events have been but for those who are listening, who are hearing from you for the very first time, talk to me a little bit about some of the community events that you had been doing, uh, you know, in your time in Miami. And then maybe what are some of your hopes for future ones as well, now that you are, you know, around the country? Uh, 
I have been doing events since 2019. Uh, I started them because I moved to Miami basically in 2019. And no, 2018. I don't know. Time is time. COVID is a time time warp, so it's okay. I will think. Yeah, the two things. Anyway, in 2018, that summer, I did my first workshop mainly because I really wanted to make friends. I wanted to meet people, and I knew I had skills that I could share, and it went really well. So I just never stopped doing them, and it forced me to continuously learn new things. So the workshops really vary. Uh, I do a lot of mending workshops. It's one of the ones that I continuously repeat because I think it's a really important skill for people to learn um, those kind of basic sewing skills in order to fix their clothes, cover stains, maybe personalize a piece that you don't really wear anymore, but still really love and want to continuously wear in the future. Uh, I do dyeing workshops i recently started doing those kind of with the same premise right of kind of taking pieces that you love but don't wear that often you kind of want to update and make make really special for yourself uh i did a bunch of workshops with trash including my first installation sculpture made out of all of the plastic bottles from the viscaya museum for a day and so for me i use the workshops to explore themes or materials that I really want an excuse to use. My piece de resistance was Egotopia Vizcaya this past summer. And that was really like all of my dreams and ambitions kind of rolled into one event where we had a month-long free store. And then every weekend we had two different workshops. So whether it was like cyanotyping and learning about native plants and how to plant and propagate them, uh, open mics, like we really just... I just really wanted people to have a space to express themselves, to connect with each other, to learn about the environment and how they can sustain a healthy ecosystem, both like out in nature, but also a healthy ecosystem like within community, because I think they're also very tied. If you have like a healthy society where people are taken care of, I I think that also um, is is something that's reflected in the environment, right? So, so you hit on something interesting where it's this uh, this idea of like, okay, I want to do this thing. I'm going to learn it and I'm going to do it. I think as artists, as creatives, it's it can be very difficult to kind of actually get the thing done. And you do get a lot done. So what is, um, I don't want to say your secret sauce, but kind of what is something that helps you that, could be a, a point of view for other creatives as they're trying to just get things done. I mean, get things out of their brain and into the world. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that like act as roadblocks, right? Uh, one of those things is probably like imposter syndrome. I, I feel like a lot of artists, no matter where you are in your career, often feel like, I don't belong here or I'm not good enough or like, what if my piece doesn't sell or people don't like this? Um, as soon as I stopped worrying about it, it was just like, I'm an artist and kind of owned it. My productivity like just went really, really crazy. I think also where I grew up in New York, the and being in fashion, the work ethic is like pretty unhealthy. And I love being productive, but honestly, I'm I'm really trying to almost unlearn that kind of intense 
really bordering on insane uh, level of just constantly doing things and overextending myself. And it's hard to create those boundaries when you really are passionate about what you're doing, right? Like, why would you want to stop because you're doing what you love? Um, But I'm also realizing it's important to like fill your cup. And so if I have like any secret to my sauce, uh, it's a few things. One is the love and support I have from my partner, who is just like such a cheerleader and my family as well, like just constantly encouraging me and picking up the slack when like I'm too busy to do normal people stuff. Um, And also knowing that like I don't, there's, you only have so much time on this world. So I'm just like, I have to do all these things because I never know, you know, when the, when the last day is going to be. Um, but I think it is important to also like prioritize your well-being over, over your work. And that's another thing that's so beautiful about being at this residency is me being able to like shift my understanding of what work means to me and how work and life are like, actually they're, they're two different things. And I can't constantly mush them together and think they're one because then the things that are really important to me kind of fall to the wayside. So I think if you're like, how can you be productive? And I'm like, hey, don't be productive. Um, but to but do- maybe sometimes that's the answer. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I think having faith in yourself and then having like clear goals, like all of my projects are really, really well outlined before I even start them. Like really well outlined. Like my to-do notebooks are... That of a crazy person, probably it's from an outsider looking at them. Yeah, I, I plan. I, Not a crazy person, an artist. An artist. <laughs> yeah, a well-organized artist. I love Planning. it. Planning is, is, I think, really vital to being productive. And this is, you know, while we're in like our advice corner, um, you know, it's, it's funny because even personally, I've helped this uh, this thing when it comes to design and fashion and creating. I feel like a lot of people have the intention of wanting to be a little bit more sustainable in their consumerism. Uh, They see a jacket that lost a button, but they're not really sure where to start, uh, where to go from there, like how they would dye jeans or any of them, you know, any of these cool creative things that you could do. So for someone who is has no idea where to start, what point of advice would you have? for someone who would like to just get a, a little bit further into you know mending and taking care of the clothing around them and then creating creating clothing around them. I love that. I, I think that it's really empowering, like you said earlier, to learn how to mend. Uh, there's so many ways you can start to tackle it. I mean, I think first, like making a pile of things that need mending is probably step one. And it's probably larger than you think. Even my mending pile, I look at it, I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> I think YouTube has a lot of really great resources. And they actually made like a mending playlist. Just whenever I come across a video on YouTube that I think would be helpful for a beginner, I just kind of put it in this playlist. So I can always send you that link. But YouTube, I think, is a really great resource. Uh, so many places have sewing lessons uh you know whether it's a local artist like myself or maybe even like your local sewing store 
Uh, they might have something that can kind of give you that hands-on education experience as well. And I think it's also important to understand that like when you're starting, you're going to mess up and that's a really important part of the process and it shouldn't discourage you. I think when I'm learning a new skill, like I'll have a vision for what the end product might look like and like it might not look like that. I, I just started dying really uh, this past year for the first time and it's a huge learning experience and there's a lot of mistakes I've made, but through those mistakes, I've learned how to do it properly. But I've also like kind of come up with new techniques through mistakes. So I think when you're starting and before sewing and things like that really become muscle memory because they will and then it'll become so easy for you. Practice really does make perfect here. Um, you'll kind of also explore your aesthetic. Like I think when I first started sewing, my stitching, you know, obviously was not perfect. And I used to hand sew my clothes in like middle school before I had a sewing machine. And so my stitches were really visible. And like, there was a period in my career where I was like, oh my God, like, I cannot believe I did that. And then I kind of owned it later on in my career. In the last like few years have been doing these hand sewn garments where the stitching is intentionally really visible. And I... I don't know. I, I just I just think that your mistakes are both learning opportunities, but also aesthetic experiences, too. I think that's so beautiful because, you know, we all have our own version of what, uh, you know, the visible stitching is and whatever we are creating. Uh, and for you to own that as even a superpower in a way is so inspiring. So for those who are not really aware, of, like the actual waste that goes into fashion. Kind of walk us through, you know, where what are the stakes right now? Uh, you people hear a lot more about the bigger picture of things when it comes to climate change and all that. But if you could, I know this is a very big yeah. <laughs> answer everything about that's wrong with fashion. Um, no, but if you could address some of the problem points for people who can't see behind the curtain, uh, how would you break that down? to think of a way to summarize this well there are a few points that i want to touch on um i'll start with consumerism in general like our end of things so we consume as a purchase 400 times 400 percent more than what we were buying in the 80s which makes a lot of sense right like which is not a, a it's a pretty short period of time um, for consumption to go out that much, right? So we're producing more and more and more and more and more. The things that are being produced are of less quality. And most of those things are ending up in the trash, whether you donate it to Goodwill or you're literally putting in the trash, pretty much it's all going into landfill. Most of that landfill being in other countries. So it's interesting. Things are being produced in so many different countries around the world. I had actually seen a map somewhat recently for a single style of like Nike sneakers. And there was maybe 10 factories in 10 different countries, each producing different components of that single shoe before it then even gets shipped to all the other nations that it's being sold in, right? So you have excessive amounts of shipping and um, this really like inefficient system of production. And then most of the places that things are being produced, most fashion is being produced in places like Bangladesh, for example, where labor 
and environmental protections are basically non-existent. And so these places that don't even have, and I'll use the word privilege to even consume these products um, because they're being paid nothing or wages that are basically slavery because it allows for zero upward mobility. Um, they can't even buy these things, but they have all the environmental consequences, whether it's polluting their water for dyeing your jeans or whether it's taking all the water from their natural reservoirs and using that to grow cotton for your t-shirt for your fun run that you're going to wear once. <laughs> um, and I think that when you have no transparency about how things are produced, whether it's clothes or really any product, um, you can consume really freely because you're like, oh, this is just on the shelf. It's five dollars. What are the consequences? But the consequences are like much more expensive than five dollars. You may be paying five dollars for it, but the environmental consequences, the labor consequences are really atrocious. And I think very often we think that we're like an evolved society, but so much of our culture, which revolves around goods, like even our big celebrities, right, are all basically just walking advertising billboards for goods. Um, it's it's really actually a symbol for this like completely, it's not even a hidden world, but it's a hidden world to us. Um, I mean, even think about, it's just all connected. It's just really all connected. And I don't think there's any way to like take politics out of it um, at all either. And so that's we, always a part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, God, is it, I could go on and on and on. But <laughs> do I bring up the Uyghurs? I was like, okay, oh, we'll just leave that. <laughs> Maybe for episode two. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I, I think that education is just really, really important because everything is so much more connected as a society, as a globe than we really think. And I think that the products that we buy are just like one stop um, in that entire chain. And I think the more you learn, not only the more you'll feel connected to the rest of the human race and the planet, but it will also totally shift the way that you see yourself as a player in this, in this world or in this system. It's interesting because you use the statistic about the, in the eighties and how it's changed. So to think that you know, in the 80s, those wedding dresses, that would be one dress that you would get out of maybe like 100 items or something of that nature. And now it's in a way it could be just another dress for some people. Um, it's that shift is very interesting. Yeah, I think. I think we have really shifted our culture to see us in like solely as as buyers. And when we think about freedom and liberation it's only about options for what you can purchase it's not actually talking about real human freedoms just the freedom to buy this or not buy this or wear this or not buy this then i just i just think it's a it's a falsity and that when you when you think freedom is just freedom of purchase um you actually yeah lose lose sight of of what real human liberation looks like and for those people who are obviously, you know, the first answer to this question would be uh, buy less. 
But for those people who are buying, uh, you know, see, there are people who are in these buying cycles, um, whether it's for themselves, for their families. What are some what are some things that they can look out for as consumers um, when they're looking into buying a product? Okay, I want to answer that question, but I also kind of want to add to it. So I want to give some like shopping tips for how to think about shopping. And then I can also give shopping tips as to like when you shop, how can you pick fabulous things. So I love fashion. I've loved fashion my whole life. I constantly want to buy things. Like I'm constantly looking at the runways and like, oh my gosh, I'm just drooling. You know, just like, I want this, I want this. So I think for me, um, in, you feel free to like online shop, put it in your cart and just don't buy it. Like go through that experience, like almost give yourself that kind of dopamine hit and just don't buy it. And if you find yourself putting the same thing in your cart for like three years, then buy it. It'll probably be on sale by then. Um, I like really don't buy anything new. And if I do buy something new, it's just like a handful of times a year. And it's all from independent artists, um, mainly rings. I love rings. And so there might be a ring that I love and I'll wait three years to buy it. And if I still love it three years later, and then that probably means I'm still going to love it three years from now too, probably for the rest of my life. Um, so I think that's really important is thinking about not just the immediate, but also the long-term. Maybe I love this now because I see it all over Instagram or wherever, but am I also going to love it in 10 years from now? Is this something that I'm going to want to pass on to my kid, my hypothetical future kid? Um, <laughs> my cats are going to be very well-dressed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, those are the, the best cats I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and so I think that's that's part of it. Your attitude towards shopping, I, I think, is something that can can be shifted, right? Um. For me, shopping is also a very communal thing at this point. Most of the shopping that I do for things that are clothes, you know, like food, for example, or like my home goods, I'm getting entirely from the farmer's market. And I go to the farmer's market every week and it's really a community. And I'm like connected to the people who are literally making the product. And there's total transparency there. You can't go into the Nike store and say, hey, where are these shoelaces made? Like who made the sole? What is who grew the fiber for this? You can't do that. But you can go to the farmer's market or a local maker and they can tell you everything about their process and exactly where they bought maybe some of the raw materials from. And most of the time they're buying their raw materials from other local sources. So it really helps boost your regional economy and helps make people's dream come true. And you're also getting a much higher quality product and you have a beautiful you start to create a beautiful relationship with the person making that product, which makes it even more meaningful to you to own it as you're, you know, less likely to waste it because you know how much love went into it, whether it's like your arugula to like your soap, you know, it's, it's a much more meaningful experience. And I also think that most of the time you don't need the things that you think you need and that in this country, like it's really hard for people to distinguish between want and need. Um, and I think that if you do have trouble shifting your purchasing behaviors, you know, just do it a little at a time. Um, and your behaviors will shift 
vastly over a larger scale period of time. So don't feel like you have to make this intense shift, you know, this week, like you can gradually kind of up the ante for yourself. And I think asking the questions by learning what questions to ask is really important, right? Like the first question being like, who made this? I think is the easiest one to achieve. You don't have to know that much about sustainability to be able to ask that question. And if you feel like when you're looking at this product, like, hey, who made this? And it's like, probably people in re-education camps in China, like, maybe I should purchase that. <laughs> like, if you have any, if you have even any doubt about the efficacy of like, yeah, the, the ethics of, of the product, then like, maybe put it to the side and find a, a brand that a brand alternative that um is more transparent about their labor practices or their environmental practices and if you have any questions you can always ask the brands too right like email them send them a dm like comment you know if enough people ask it might hold the brands accountable it's interesting too nowadays i think that even beyond um even beyond first, I would call like first run sales, uh, you know, when you're like directly buying on these websites. I feel like in a, this world, and this may be, just be my take as someone who is not in the fashion world, but, you know, we they talk about how it used to be four different seasons of fashion. Now it's like weekly seasons. But I feel like some of these trends have held on. Like corsets had been a thing. Uh, you know, I feel like they came back a couple of years ago and they stayed. And some of these things have staying power. I do feel like in the resale market, uh, there is so much that is better and cheaper than you see in the first run market. And I think it's an interesting point to just how much we're producing. So the fact that there's so much left over, I mean, I don't know if you see that in your own experience, but a lot of times I go to the store or if I go to like a Goodwill and I go, this is like in trend right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot to say on this topic too. You know, it's it's funny, like when when we were kids, I guess, like middle school, high school, like the 70s were back, you know, with like those big kind of bell-bottom, wide-leg pants, um, those beautiful blouses. Like it was really in style. Like I had never experienced the 70s, but like that was in trend. And so I had bought a bunch of things or stole a bunch of my mom's things from the 70s, really, more like it, and wore them and continue to wear them to this day. Um, I think all trends come back around, right? It is so real seeing a lot of the high schoolers that I mentored over the last few years wear things that were popular in, during my like elementary school years. Like, it's so odd. Yeah, it feels like limited too right now. <laughs> like, you don't even know. <laughs> and it was so expensive back then too. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's, I, I think really all, all things come around. So just because something's trending right now, it's probably going to trend, you know, before trend cycles were much longer, maybe every 30 years or every 40 years. Now it's like every, you know, 10 years, something might cycle back. Um, I also think that like, you might be really motivated by a trend. And if you think that really suits you, suits your personal style, suits your figure, um, and makes you feel really confident outside of the fact that it's a trend, 
then like I don't think there's any shame in buying it. But since we said like everything comes back around, the thrift store probably has it already and you don't have to buy it new because you could just get the original at the thrift store. And so whenever I buy anything um, that I can't get at the farmer's market, I will look at the thrift store first, even if it's like a cooking cooking thing. Like I needed a glass cutting board. I was like, I'm not going to buy a new one because I know there's going to be one at the thrift store. And it took me like two or three visits, but I found it. And so I, I think that even if you're looking for something hyper specific, like going to your local thrift stores, you will very likely find it. And just be patient if you don't find it the first time. You will 100% eventually find it. So I know we're nearing toward the end of our time, but you are right now in this lovely, this lovely uh, historic room uh, as part of your residency. What is, where is your residency? I mean, how, not where is your residency? You already answered that, but what, um, what do you hope for in this residency and what is your vision for what's next? I know you are always, it's always so exciting to keep up with you and I love seeing all that you're doing. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, what's on the horizon for Pangea. I... I've really been thinking about the future a lot <laughs> and um, I've been working on a, a triptych for two years now, two and a half years and hit their three quilts basically, but the quilt of like paintings, but they're made out of fabric. I don't want anybody thinking that they're like kind of these patchwork, you know, geometric quilts because they're not. Well, the um, one that I had seen that you had done was impeccable. The thanks. one of you and uh, your partner. Oh, yeah. The present, the present. Yeah, so three, almost three years ago, I came up with the idea of the triptych and I knew it was going to be the past, the present, and the future. Each panel was going to be uh, a different kind of perspective of time. So I did the past, I did the present, and now I'm working on the future uh, final panel of this club triptych. And it's really forced me to think about like, what is, what is the future? Not even just like, what does my future look like? But like, what is how do you define the future right like is the future like the next minute from now is the future just in my imagination um is the future just a product of my past as you're asking about like hey what's what's up next on the calendar i'm just like no i love this on the future this is- I love this. No, no, no. This is this is why we have a podcast and not just like a three minute thing. This is yeah, this fair. is why we talk about this. <laughs> um, and I think this past year has been really illuminating for me. And to touch on what we were discussing about like productivity, I w- I've been so extremely productive my whole life, and I've really realized that that is not sustainable um, for anybody, including my like New Yorker self and. So I really wanted to like spend the future prioritizing the things that are really important to me. Um, My partner being like probably my biggest priority. And so I really wanted to just focus my next few months on our wedding because like our wedding is not just about us. It's about like kind of love as a topic and as a theme. And it'll obviously be a really big community art that everybody is invited to and it will be free to attend. Um, I love that. Yes, that's probably the biggest project. And then um, I'm also working on a collection of dresses. It's it's really nice. I get to combine my love and passion for farming and uh, regenerative agriculture 
and fashion together. So I'm making a bunch of dresses out of invasive species harvested from the Deering Estate, where I'm also an artist in residence. So I'm really excited for that because half of the dresses are going to be made out of these plants, and then half of them are going to be made out of natural upcycled fibers, and they're going to hang from trees for a few months. So I'm really excited to see kind of like how clothes when in the elements, um, how they react, like being in the rain, being in the sun, just being out in the air. Like, what does that look like? Because I don't think most people really think about it, you know, but that's really where all of our clothes are ending up and landfills out the elements. Um, and I lecture about it all the time. So like, I want to see it for myself and make, but make it art. And <laughs> Yeah, those are those are my two big projects. I mean, I'll continue doing the workshops because they really help help me feel better and help other people feel better about their place in society. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the future holds many things, right? It's it's bountiful and it's the biggest thing one can or try to wrap their head around. I don't know. I mean, I also feel like I'm on this precipice in my life, right? Of like. I'm in my early, very early 30s. And um, I think like at this stage, you know, people are settled, like settling. And I don't mean like settling in a bad way, like, but just like creating roots. Calming down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and I, I, I guess I, I kind of, I'm in this stage where I'm like, I kind of want to reinvent myself again. Using, using art. Using art. But figuring out what what that could potentially look like absolutely i i hear you sister that's what this podcast is for me. <laughs> well thank you so much pangea this was such a lovely conversation i will link all of your socials and everything in the episode notes um it's such a lovely you know chance to get to speak with you anytime i get the chance and I look forward to seeing you when you get back to South Florida. Yeah, yeah, likewise, likewise. It's going to be really nice to get together. Thank you all for listening to The Analyzation Show. If you liked what you hear, please leave me a review. Follow me on Instagram at Analyzation Show, and I'll see you next time, or I'll hear you next time. You'll hear me. Ah, <laughs> bye. <laughs>